Jay Lucas is a Duke. It's a huge addition for a huge hole Duke needed to fill. But now there's a big hole in Kentucky, and Kentucky fans are not happy about it at all. What are your thoughts on that? What is where do you think Calipari goes now? Now they lost one of his arguably not the best recruiter, if not the best recruiter. Man, like Kentucky fans are like Bo right now going nuts uh, about something screaming. Yep. I think a FedEx truck just drove down the street, by the way. That's that's what that reaction's for. So um, <laughs> I look like it's a huge win for Duke. Um at, at, I don't think Jay Lucas is going to be on Duke's staff for 10 or 20 years. I think that it's, it's kind of a short-term hire. Like I, I think Jay Lucas probably wants to be a head coach before he turned, before he's in his late thirties and he's 33 now. Um, I, I also, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to see any assistant coaches in college basketball getting to the, you know, like the Steve Robinson point of 15 to 20 years on a staff. Um, you know, who is the longest coach under K for the last 20 years? Like, I guess maybe Cable, and he did it for two stints, and he got head coaching jobs that he left for. Yeah, if you want to go farther than that, how long was Dawkins at Duke? He wasn't there that long. That was just yeah. my, it was just my childhood, so it felt like it was an eternity. But, <laughs> yeah, I guess – yeah, Collins maybe too had a pretty long tenure because I feel like he didn't have a pro career. So I think he kind of went to coaching pretty early after leaving Duke as a player. Oh, it's Collins authority. All right. Two feisty players in their days. And now Darty's trying to get his players out of the mix. Wojo down in there, Johnny Dawkins, all the former Duke players, but Collins and Darty. Now, now Collins telling Coach K what took place. Oh, it was Collins talking to McCants, and what Doherty's saying, don't you talk to my players. And then Andre Buckner got caught in between the Duke player. He got into it with the Carolina coach. Not a pretty scene here at Chapel Hill. I could be wrong, that, uh, but Capel is a good point, too. I mean, yeah, head coach, and he had head coaching experience and came back. It's, yeah. it's just, it's it, like I said last week, it's more than anything. And, and now that they got Jay, it, it applies even more. So it's the, it's the embracing of a different idea. Like and I'm not saying it gets stale when you just hire your former players and your former captains, but there reaches a certain point where it, you know, the definition of insanity is you keep doing the same thing, expecting different results. And if you keep hiring the same, the same guys with the same backgrounds, and, you know, if the goal is to win a national championship every season, which it is, then it, it feels like something needed to change. And again, like, you know, both of the transfers they picked up played for former Duke assistant coaches, former Duke players, former Duke, uh, you know, they're Duke guys. The brotherhood. Yeah, it's, it's the extension. Um, but bringing in a guy who, who has coached under John Calipari, under Shaka Smart, under, um, who am I leaving out here at Texas? Rick Barnes. Um, Jay Lucas is going to bring a lot of 
a lot of different perspectives. And that is a great his, thing for Duke. And his dad. I mean, yeah. it's, first and foremost, learned, I think his first words were X's and O's. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, he he's legit. I mean, family tree. He's not a Duke kid, but he's a local kid to where it's almost, he's from Durham, like family is from Durham, like you said, to where that that's just, it's a huge deal. It's a big win for Duke. Yeah, that was the thing I pointed out in a, in a story I wrote was, you know, yeah, he he is unlike the other staff members. You know, Mike Schrage didn't play at Duke either, but he was a ops guy there for about 10 years and mm -hmm. coached under Johnny Dawkins at Stanford for, I think, eight years. Um, but uh, Jay Lucas is the only one on the staff who can say he's from Durham. Yep. Like he, you know, he was – he didn't grow up. He grew up around D.C. for the most part. It's, it's one of those I think you can kind of claim dual citizenship. I do that with Towson and Annapolis in Maryland. Um, but, yeah, he, he can say he is he is partially from Durham. And you know, you've got Shire came from around Chicago. Carowell came from St. Louis. Samil came from Philadelphia. That's yeah. not exactly Durham. Yeah. And so he he has roots here and. North Carolina, so it does make make sense. And uh, like you were talking about too, the longevity of assistant coach. I mean, now with head coaches, even like the, it's almost like if you get a head coaching job or maybe even an assistant coaching job, you might as well rent, don't buy, because yeah. you have two to three years max to turn whatever you're at around. If not, then it's a new group of guys. So, Coach K. I think was year five or six until he finally got going at Duke. I mean, that would never happen anymore. I think I could be. It wrong. was year four. It was the year first three, the first three years record was um, it was really years two and three crushed the record. The first yeah. year was not bad. Uh, and then years two and three, they were terrible. And there was a, uh, he talked about this at a at a press conference, I think, or or in one of the TV specials that came out in the last month or so of the season about like there was the concerned Iron Dukes, like <coughs> you know the the Iron Dukes or Dukes Booster Club, and there was a sect of it that that kind of broke off, and and they called themselves the Concerned Iron Dukes, and they wanted him out of there. Um, Jay Billis talked about that uh, right before the last home game. And because he had he had come there from California, he didn't know kind of what the future was going to hold. And right after that third season, they were given an assurance that Coach K was going to stay on. And uh, and then it was it was go from there. Like all summer they were concerned and they were the concerned Iron Dukes. And, you know, then, then things got the ship got righted and uh, the concerned Iron Dukes, I think, fanned out. The the concerns kind of leveled off. Yeah. And, I mean, they always say 86 was a class to save K. So, yeah. that's just what it is. So, yeah, year year two to year three, he was on the hot seat to where he had to win year four, whereas now if Coach K was that bad year one and two, you might have never seen that year three. and. Yeah. It's for better or for worse, that's just what it is. So now coaches have to transfer over just like you see kids doing. And But it's a little bit different when it's for your profession. Like I know like kids should be paid and like obviously so the NIL deal and 
they should get as much money as they're worth in their first four years or in their four years. But then the day, like coaches normally have families and have struggled for honestly almost probably decades to like finally make it to where they can eat. Like not even I'm not talking about the K's. I'm talking about the ones that are the third and fourth assistants that are Division One head or assistant coaches that for 17 years they were the Division Three assistant to where they're Division Two second assistant to uh, a MEAC assistant coach to finally getting a break to at a mid-major program to that you've never heard of. And those are the guys I always think about when they're when people try to say players should get paid because Coach Dabo Sweeney's getting paid ten million dollars a year. It's like Dabo is Dabo, K is K, Cal is Cal. It's like three examples, but there's there's a thousand that are making salaries that are nowhere near that combined. And so I just always think of those guys when the journeyman of college basketball, and I think they should always just get respected and appreciated as much as the head guy as well. And with uh, talking about the new age of basketball, Duke was in the top five for Shireman end up going to Creighton didn't surprise either of us because there's rumor that he just had incredible demands to be playing with a college basketball team. Yeah. His demands, I think really limited the number of suitors that he could have had. And it's hard to fault a kid for that. Like you, you, if you know what you want, go get what you want and, and don't compromise. Um, there's a couple different ways to look at it. That's one. And the other one is, you know, if a kid, if a guy demands to play 35 to 40 minutes a game, you've only got 200 minutes a game to spread across as many as 13 scholarships. Uh, one guy taking 18 to 20% of your minutes is, is a big deal. Uh, that's a big chunk. Mm-hmm. And to be the number one option wherever he went. Like, I know, I know everybody wants to act like every roster has upheaval other than Carolina um, year to year, but you know, a lot of teams already have their number one options. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's a heck of a thing to say that you want to be the number one guy wherever you go. Uh, and the and negative Creighton, to that, sorry, the negative I, to that is it, it's, it tells me that he doesn't want to compete. Like, yeah, that, that, that's, that's kind of a red flag for me. That's where it's like, well, no wonder Kansas and Kentucky backed off as much as Duke was never really in contention for this guy was, you know, okay. If, if you want to guarantee that you're going to be the number one option, then, you know, we've got other talented players on the roster. Yeah. I mean, if he, I think Duke was just a name to have to put a hat on the table is what yeah. I just would ask. And uh, what I was going to say was with with Shireman, if his camp, because I don't know if it's from him, but his camp has made it public that that's what the rumor to be that he wanted to be the number one option. First off, team chemistry out the door immediately. You're you're guilty until proven innocent, not innocent until proven guilty in this regard. Like Creighton was already, I saw Rothstein already had them as, and I know John Rothstein is hilarious, but. He does know he's addicted to college basketball, but he did say that Creighton was a team that to keep an eye on this upcoming year before the Shireman thing because they were returning so many people back. And now if they already had that strong of a core 
this one talented player could get them over the hump. That's the optimistic way to look at things, or it can absolutely crush everything that uh, McDermott has tried to grow in his program. And if, if you want to be the number one player on a, on a team, then the only way you settle that, you go play one-on-one. You play the guys on that roster, check up, and no, no cameras, no nothing, because that's what you do when two guys want a jersey number. We'd roll ball out. All right, we'll play one-on-one, three dribble maximum, no offensive rebounds. And first one to seven or 11, whatever you want to play to, all ones, ones and twos, you get the jersey number. Shireman runs the table against the whole roster. Congratulations, you're the go-to guy. But but now he's just he's not going to be like he's just not going to be well received, and that's just an entitlement. And I'm not bashing I'm not bashing Shireman personally. Just his camp, like the camp to come out having these demands. I mean, he came from South Dakota State, like he he didn't come from Kansas looking to be the number one. It wasn't the second best player at Kansas. Like, I want to be the number one option. Came from South Dakota State. And they, he grew up a diehard Kansas fan, and he turned his nose against them. And then Kentucky's a historical blue blood to where he just was like, these are my demands. It's like I, I understand the Kentucky one to a little bit more of an extent than Kansas because I think he basically saw what Kellen Grady became for Kentucky down the stretch. And it was just go stand in the corner and shoot threes to space the court. Yeah. But he got hurt, though, too, I think. And that kind of slowed his role, I'm pretty sure. Because he was their go-to guy there for a little while. Yeah. But I, I just, I mean, the the whole element of, like you're saying, like you, you need to be able to come in and prove that you're the number one guy. You don't need to come in with a guarantee. And yeah. – you know, like he's like maybe maybe that's his camp's fault. Maybe he's trusted the wrong people and put the wrong people around him, and that shouldn't get out. Yeah, uh, we yeah. shouldn't we shouldn't know that, but well, it did, well, and it is. Yeah, and that's. I just want to touch base on Shireman because I know he's was probably the most popular and will be the most popular transfer in the portal this off season. But and positive news, Wake Forest had an addition, two additions to the transfer portal. Yeah, so it's it's three additions in 10 days, uh, going back to Jawatuka from Marist. It's two additions this week. Uh, first, it was Andrew Carr from Delaware on Monday night. And then it was, I need to, I need to verify that it's Ty Ree instead of just Ty. I've seen it both ways. Uh, Ty Ree Appleby from Florida. Um, Appleby and Atuka are both 6-1 guards. They will both have the ball in their hands. Um, I think Atuka is more of a point guard. Appleby is more of a combo guard. Uh, Appleby shoots a lot of threes and makes a lot of threes. And if you're playing for Steve Forbes, uh, you're playing in a system that lets you shoot threes. Uh, there were some games this year where Wake took more threes than they took twos. Tell them I'm, so, I have an extra year of eligibility. <laughs> Um, yeah, as, as a former, you know, we were a different level player, but I like to shoot threes too. So, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a, my college system was mover blocker. So I never had the green light, like you're explaining, which is my, was my dream. (laughs) Um, 
but yeah, it, it's, you know, this is the, the breaking news here is Wake Forest will actually have a basketball team next year. You know, there was uh, some overreaction and panic that, you know, it was like two weeks ago, they only had uh, six or seven scholarships out for next season's roster. That, that was never going to remain the case for that long. Um, Andrew Carr is a is a six nine forward. Um, he played a lot of five at Delaware, and Delaware does not run five out. They run more of a traditional set. And he started the the season at their as their four, but they had their center uh, twist his ankle really badly and had to miss a lot of time. So he ended up playing a lot of five for them. He had mass massive games in their last two games of the year. And those were in the CAA championship against UNC Wilmington. Yeah, UNC Wilmington. Mm -hmm. um, I think he had 17 points on six of seven shooting and five for six from the free throw line and 12 rebounds, three blocks, three steals. Like, did, did a bit of everything in that game. And then had 13 points against Villanova in the NCAA tournament. Um, you score in double figures against a team that makes the final four in a, in a two seed. Yeah, you're pretty good you're yeah. at the right time. You're doing some things right. So Wake still has a few question marks on their roster. Uh, we're waiting to see whether Davian Williamson comes back for a fifth season of college. He's been with Steve Forbes throughout his entire career. Um, two seasons at ETSU and then two seasons, the past two at Wake Forest. And we're still waiting to see if Jake Laravia stays in the NBA draft. Um, he's got the same as Trevor Keels. He's got until June 1st at midnight to decide. And uh, the important dates to know coming up are May 16th to 22nd is the NBA draft combine in Chicago. So after the draft combine, after guys really get a sense of, of where they stand, um, you'll start seeing some decisions get made on whether they're staying in or coming out. Yep. And uh, speaking of, I mean, with Keels, Shire made those remarks that Duke is still patiently waiting Kill's decision, whereas you and I thought, and most everybody else, were like, that door's closed once he announced he was going to the draft just because Duke can't afford to wait for him. They can't hold up the portal. So what's the latest with that? Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting, and it was, it was just so hard to ignore that – John Shire in his opening statement to us on Tuesday made it really clear that he likes where Duke's roster is. I mean, no coach is ever going to get up there when they have 12 scholarships dedicated for the next season and say, man, I hate where our roster is. Uh, it's not like you can go out and make trade, make, make summer trades to improve things. Um, but then Unprompted, he brought up Trevor Keels and that Duke is being really supportive of Trevor Keels and wanted to make sure that he's all in with the NBA process and he's preparing as if he's not going to be at Duke next year. Shire didn't say anything to the extent of, you know, Trevor has a decision that he has to make. Uh, we're we're going to wait on Trevor until he decides whether he's coming back or not. There was nothing to that tune. But it's one of those moments where you, you take everything that is said and then you look at everything that's not said and you try to balance out what's actually the point that's 
being driven home here. The point is that Trevor Keels can still come back to Duke. Mm-hmm. Like even though the the release said that he's going to sign him with an agent, uh, I did some research today. I don't think he's signed with an agent yet. Um, you know, the the rule has changed, and I think we talked about this last week. The rule is that you can sign with an agent. Uh, as long as they're an NBA Players Association certified agent, then you can still sign with an agent. You can get all the benefits that signing with an agent gives you, and you can still return to school. You can still exit the draft pool before the deadline and come back to school. And so I, I still think that that is, I don't want to say it's a likely scenario, but I think it's in the realm of possibility for Duke. Um, and then you don't have to worry about getting a guard out of the transfer portal. You don't have to worry about, you know, Isaiah Mosley is, is the latest name to enter. Um, I think maybe from Missouri state, uh, it was about a 20 point a game scorer. Um, you don't have to worry about evaluating those guys. If you have Trevor Keels back, you, you know, you're going to play Trevor Keels for 28 to 32 minutes at the two guard. You're going to have an experienced backcourt with him and Jeremy Roach. And they're really going to be able to take some heat off the shoulders of, you know, five freshmen that you expect to play. And, and we'll wait and see on a sixth with Christian Reeves and whether he redshirts. Yep. I mean, that'd be a home run offseason for Duke if Kills comes back. Because Kills is more important than any big-time transfer just because the familiarity with the roster and just – I talked about team chemistry with Shireman, how it could be negative. You talk about a positive, like you bring a starter back who obviously is close with his teammates. Shire, known for a couple of years now through recruiting and stuff. Like it's just, it's a health, it'd be a healthy addition for Duke. You bring us, and, and you bring back a guy who, you know, not to, not to make this comparison because it's apples and oranges, but. He had some of his big moments in in Duke's biggest moments. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you immediately think of the Kentucky game, but he had a great game in the Final Four against Carolina. Yeah. Um, he hit the dagger against Texas Tech in the or uh, who did Duke play in the Elite Eight? Arkansas. Arkansas. He hit the three right before halftime. Yeah. And that was that was a monster because. You always want to win the last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the game. Obviously, if you want to be a smart ass, you want to win the game. But those are like the pivotal moments because that's when the possessions are the fewest. And you win the last two minutes or the last media timeout of the first half and kills that. That was a huge three. And I think that is honestly the biggest shot that he's made at Duke. I know obviously the, the Kentucky game and stuff, but you talk about moment, elite eight, and yeah. Really, Duke didn't turn back from there. I think Arkansas tried to make that little run out of the second half, but Duke absorbed it, and then the rest was history. It kind of cruised late in the second half. Yeah. So, look, and, and John Shire said it, you know, there's no substitute for Trevor Keels. There's no one player that they can go out and get that will replace everything that Trevor Keels would give them and, and gave them last year. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of the next domino to fall, and it might not fall for a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, I think you you kind of expect that it won't fall for a couple weeks, uh, and that's that's what puts Duke in a in a little bit of a tight spot, a little bit of a precarious situation because 
you know, if Trevor remains in the NBA draft, then they could be stuck uh, with an open scholarship and with a little bit of inexperience at the at that second guard position. But that's a bridge to cross when or if you have to cross it. Well, I will be patiently waiting like his mom and dad are heavily involved, like we've talked about on the podcast, where he trusts their vision with what his future may hold. And if it's the pros, we, I wish him nothing but the best of luck. But if it's Duke, then let's run it back. I mean, like I said, the, the biggest growth the player can make is freshman to sophomore year, just statistically. It's just your legs are accustomed to the game of basketball, the college basketball, I should say. And – Luke Kennard comparison, that's what people are saying, like with numbers wise, like he's, his legs got tired his freshman year, then sophomore year came and he turned in to what he was. And then he really parlayed that into being probably the highest draft pick he could have possibly been, even if he stayed four years at Duke. So we'll see. The other, the other thing to keep in mind, and I don't, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to give false hope, but the, the story, as I've been told, and I'm kind of coming into this, you know, this is my first year being on the Duke beat, is Trevor grew up a Duke fan and kind of recruited Jeremy, who's a year ahead of him, to go to Duke. Like, Jeremy, um, as he was going through the recruitment process, had Trevor in his ear telling him, like, go to Duke, go to Duke. We want to go to Duke and play together. So, you know, it's it's something that, is there in the back of my mind when I think about, you know, will Trevor come back? Would, would it, what's, what's the draw for him to come back uh, aside from the obvious of, of improving his NBA draft stock um, is that Duke was, Duke was kind of his team growing up. So that's something that is, like I said, just in the back of my mind uh, to me in the back of yours, but that's the way I've been told is that he grew up a Duke fan. So we're going to do top five most memorable moments. I think yours are a little different than mine. I think yours are you watched in person. I have not had that honor. So mine are from the TV, from the couch, from out in public. I'll tell you what's not in my top five, and that's the Miami laterals. That's definitely not going to be in my top five. But (laughs) I will let you take the floor first. This is a new segment that we're going to start doing as – power rankings where we list our five top five or we can put them as tiers it depends we'll go week to week on how we want to do it it's our podcast we can do what we want but this week we're doing top five sports moments for us personally so i'll let you go ahead and take the floor all right i'm going to go five four three two one because i think that builds more suspense Uh, i'm glad you went first i definitely would have went one two three four five so number five uh, is a little different. This is the only one that I've got listed like this. Um, any live hockey game that I've ever been to deserves a spot right here because li- there is there is no sport that's better, at least that I've found. You know, I haven't been to a, haven't been to rodeo, haven't been to Formula One, I haven't even been to a NASCAR race. I've been to Bowman Gray. That's about it. But there there is there's no sport there's no sport that beats live hockey. Um, the speed, you know, maybe it gets a little bit tough to follow the puck, but usually if you just follow where the massive bodies are skating and they're going about 15 to 20 miles an hour, you can figure, you can figure it out. So, well, that's a live hockey game. I have not, 
I've, I have not been to one yet. Obviously, it's kind of shocking because Raleigh's pretty close to hurricanes. But I always think final destination, like I'm always paranoid. Somebody's going to just shank a puck and I'm just going to be about seven beers in and just hit me right in the dome. They've think, got nets, man. They've got nets. See, I've never, I haven't been to a hockey game. Can't fault me. I didn't know. I thought it was like baseball when baseball has nets now, but that was like my darkest fear. It's like that, that thing's coming in hot. You're not going to get hit with the, with the chunk of rubber that's going about 105 miles an hour. Thank God. All right. Well, I'll go one next year. <laughs> see, my ultimate fear. You answered it. All right. Now you're number four. Number four. See, I had to, I had to get something from the high school coverage days on here. And, uh, there were, there were some Eastern Alamance Cummings basketball games that came to mind. I went another direction. I went Eastern Guilford, Western Alamance football game in the third round playoff game in 2016. I think that was the best high school football game I covered. Uh, it was one of those late November, December games where it was freezing uh, you had to go by one of the space heaters and warm up your pen every once in a while because the ink would freeze. Uh, and there was some high-level football played that night. Um, you know, Darius Pinnix was the star for Western Alamance. They had Jake Christman running around, making a lot of plays. Uh, both those guys played Division One football. Um, Eastern Guilford won. Eastern Guilford went to the state championship that year before losing to Weddington. Um they were undefeated until that state championship loss and they had beaten Western in the first round of the playoff or in the regular season. Um, that was just a game that, you know, it, it, it's, it's near and dear to me, uh, not for any fan purposes, but just, just the level of play that night, the, the stakes at, at the stakes at stake, the, the stakes that they played for. Um, it was a big one. Um, Number three, I'll go to the 2017 Belk Bowl was Wake Forest beating Texas A&M 55-52. Uh, once you get past the, the basketball score aspect of things, and that was just a thrilling football game to cover, right? Like Texas A&M blocked two punts, uh, was up, I think it was 17 nothing earlier, 17-3, something like that. Uh, Wake came storming back and scored like 38 points in a row and then gave up the lead. And all I remember is like the fourth quarter being touchdown Texas A&M, touchdown Wake Forest, touchdown Texas A&M, touchdown Wake Forest. And Wake Forest wound up coming out uh, with a win. You know, it was, those back and forth games are the ones that you remember more than anything. Uh Obviously, you're not going to remember the blowouts. Belk Bowls are always crazy. I mean, hello, Duke was <laughs> up. Tony Foster, Williams representative, had the block punt for a touchdown for Duke against Cincinnati. I think Duke was up 17 nothing. And then fast forward uh, to the fourth quarter, and Josh Need fumbles at the three-yard line. And it still is arguably the worst beat of all time, as Scott Van Pelt likes to point out on bad beats, where – Duke, I forgot what their underdogs were, but Cincinnati ended up covering while Duke was winning the game in the fourth quarter. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but that was just my therapeutic uh, moment there. <laughs> um, number two on my list is recent. It was the Duke Carolina Final Four game. 
Um, Connor, you're just trying to crush me. <laughs> well, you brought up the you brought up the Duke belt ball on your own, so and I'm not I taking the Miami. And I brought up the Miami game. You're right. It's me. Yeah. I'm a demon. Oh. <laughs> um, I've never covered a a game where I could legitimately feel my heart almost beating out of my chest, and that was that was the last six or seven minutes of that game, and. I was sitting next to David Teal, uh, a great friend and a and an even better columnist for the Richmond Times Dispatch, and he he turned to me and pointed it out. He was like, "I'm nervous as hell, and I'm not even playing in the game. Imagine how they feel." And I was just like, "Yeah, I, it, it's this is insane." I almost like, you know, it, it was it was overwhelming to to just see the magnitude, to see that game played in front of 70,000 people, uh, you know, for the first time meeting in the tournament in Coach K, what turns out to be Coach K's last game. That was just something you'll never forget. I would um, never forget Caleb Love just hitting those miraculous shots for a month straight until the, the national championship. That's just – it was a great game. It was a great game. Like they went five for 24 in the national championship. Yeah. So it was bound to run out at some point. I was we just wanted to run out of the game earlier. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, he's due. He's due. And he was due. I just missed it by like two nights. But yep. I was talking to my buddy who was is a former uh, UNC basketball manager. And we were just talking about uh, the game. And I was like, I can't, you can't talk to me. I can't talk to you because. All it's going to lead to is you just trumping me in this conversation. He's just laughing and enjoyed every second of it. And that's just going to be my hell for the next 10 years. But it was, in all seriousness, it was a great game. Yeah. Um, so then, so my last three have all been things that I covered. Um, and I went back to, to being a fan for my number one moment. Um, those of you who know me know that I'm a huge Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm basically, I'm a fan of two teams pretty much now, the Orioles and the Caps. And so in 2012, when they got back to the playoffs, they hadn't been in the playoffs since 1997. Um, they beat the Rangers in that, I think it was the first year of the wildcard play-in game. And they beat the Rangers in Texas on a Friday night. And I covered Cummings Eastern Randolph down in, down in Asheboro. Okay. Uh, or or Ramser, uh, and driving back, I was flipping through my XM stations trying to get the game on, and was listening to like Tommy Hunter throw throw fastballs past his former team and that kind of thing. And then it was it was determined like Sunday night was going to be the return of playoff baseball to Baltimore. So I cover I did a I pulled a hashtag two games Courtney on that Saturday. I covered. UNC beating Virginia Tech football. Giovanni Bernard ran for like 260 yards against Virginia Tech. Then I went to Raleigh and covered uh, NC State beating a top five Florida State team, which is where that gift comes from with the guy shirtless waving his waving around the flagpole. Uh, yes. I think it was 17-16. Mike Glennon beat Florida State uh, death by death by paper cuts and underneath routes. Covered both of those games, woke up on Sunday and drove up to Baltimore to stay with my parents and go to the return of playoff baseball to Baltimore. That's um, awesome. 
that was that was special. Uh, it was just a, a hectic weekend that ended with me going horse, um, singing. Um, what is what is the uh, arena anthem like? This says a bunch of O's like Zombie Nation. Yeah, Zombie Nation sounds about right. Uh, you talking about that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. I think it's Zombie Nation. I think so. So that was just a culmination because, like, all through high school and and my college days, uh, I would go to you know Friday night student nights would be like five bucks to get into Camden Yards, and me and my buddies, we were a little more dedicated than than the other students who would just go in the upper deck and drink. Like, we actually wanted to pay attention to baseball, and we moved around in the lower level and. There'd be like 15,000 people there in a, in a 48,000 seat stadium. Um, so it's just awesome to, to be there when there was actually fans and when there was actually a, a, a real atmosphere. Uh, yeah, they yeah. played the Yankees. They lost the first game, but they won game two. And I was there for game two also. But uh, the return of playoff baseball to Baltimore was, was my number one. That's, that's perfect. I mean, I can relate being a Duke fan and remembering – to this day about Wallace Wade being 30 people and $30,000, 30,000 seat place and Camden Yards was the same way. And now the Oakland A's are dealing with that. Have you seen that with the Oakland A's? Oh my God. It's yeah, like a thousand people. Yeah. They've got to move that team. Yeah. Or, or find new ownership that actually invests and cares. With your top five being – in the number one with Baltimore in a playoff game. That that still is a really cool moment. That's like uh, – because, I mean, obviously with that franchise, the history of the franchise and the AL East being the powerhouse it is, like some people are probably thinking like, really? But then I just think of like look at the Timberwolves. Like you saw how they celebrated winning play-in games to finally be in the playoffs and the moments that they had. And, yes, they lost round one, but – that city has been cursed in all professional sports besides the Case Keenum to Stephon Diggs throw in the playoffs. Besides that, they've had kicks that from like 26 yards out to lose playoff games and to lose regular season games that had playoff implications. Kirk Cousins, for God's sakes, their quarterback. And then uh, the Twins, I think, have set the uh, playoff record for the most loss, consecutive playoff losses. Like I think they've lost 13 or 14 straight playoff games, not series games. So, like, they haven't won a playoff game in at least a couple decades. So, they deserve to celebrate a play-in game. So, I understand Baltimore being number one. I really do. And, again, I'm a Duke football fan, for God's sakes. I, I celebrate a win against Virginia like we just won the AC championship. <laughs> so, mine – I cheated, and I have an honorable mention before I start. The honorable mention is going to be the Sean Dockery buzzer beater because only because pure shock face, like, of that happening. And that was like a moment, a special moment with my dad and I because my dad gets really worked up. Not too bad now, but growing up, like, was was really when Duke was, like, his life. And – I saw it as a kid growing up, so he would seriously get home to make sure he could watch every single game. And that really set the trend for me now as an adult. But 
him just cussing up a storm and it's over. They, they cut away to Washington and uh, is it Deron Washington? Was that his Darren Washington? I can't remember his name. The dreads for uh, or cornrows for Virginia Tech. But I just remember they cut away. The camera cut away to Virginia Tech's bench and they're like waving to the Cameron crazies like goodbye, like adios, it's over. And then Dockery hits the buzzer beater. And I remember the social media, not social media, because it was before social media, except for MySpace. I remember media killing Duke for like uh, storming the court when it was like it was like 30 or 40 people ran on the court. First off, who doesn't storm the court after a half court buzzer beater? I don't care if Duke beat Hofstra to win the game. Like the pure joy and excitement in the whole stadium was electric. Like you want to run after the guy that just made the shot. So honorable mention, it's only on, and it's only honorable mention because it was a regular season game, I think in December, but that is good. Are you good? You got something in your eye? Allergies? Allergies, man. It's, man, I can't go, I can't go like an hour without either sneezing to the point where I think I'm going to throw my back out, uh, the old Sammy Sosa, or just having my eyes just flare up and feel like I'm, you know, watching Goodwill Hunting in the last 10 minutes and just (laughs) falling. Sounds like me watching Green Mile. (laughs) I mean, yeah. They're the same. They're the same emotional value yeah all right so also one that is not in my top five is uh it's not honorable mention either it's just not in my top five but it is worth noting is it's just mentioned yes it's going to be mentioned and i'll explain why is duke and unc classic not the river shot which should be on there but it's not uh wendell moore's buzzer beater duke's comeback to lead to wendell morris buzzer beater and you're asking probably thinking why would you even bring this up why is it not on your list blah 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 well i was at the game it's the only game in my life i ever left early and so <laughs> i'm in the dean dome i'm in the dean dome and i was with a date too and i'm just getting heckled because I'm wearing Duke stuff and I'm in the Dean Dumb and whatever. And I can take it. I can take the bashing. But it got to the point they're up double digits, 10, 12, whatever, two and a half minutes left. And I was still living in Wilmington at the time. And I was like, I'm let's just get in the car. Like, I'm over it. I'm I'm gonna fight somebody. They keep like purposely like leaning forwards to like celebrate a UNC basket in my ear purposely. I I'm I'm going to fight somebody. So I was like, we're at, like, I, my brother, my family's texting me in the group chat, Jordan, this is why you don't go to Duke and Carolina games. You're the curse. Every time you go to a Duke game, they lose. And I'm getting, fr- I'm already mad at the game. I'm already mad at the environment. And now my family's texting me, like, don't worry, I'm leaving. And I get to the car. I drop, like, I, it's mute. I'm not talking to her. I ain't talking to nobody. I'm not looking at my phone. I don't even have music playing. It's mute. And I'm driving. And. We ended up staying, coming to Mebbin so I could stay at the house before we go to Wilmington the next morning. And we're about halfway to Mebbin, and I see Jacob called me, my brother. He's like, where are you at? And I'm like, I'm in my – I was like, I'm in my effing car. I told you I'm leaving. 
And I just hear him say, he did really leave. He really left. <laughs> Why are you calling me? He said something about Ty, uh, Trey Jones missed a free throw on purpose and hit a buzzer beater. They're going to overtime. And I'm like, shut the F up. Like, this is not a funny joke. He's like, Jordan, I'm not joking. And then all of a sudden, if people have seen Fever Pitch would appreciate the reference, but it's when uh, Jimmy Fallon finally goes on a date with Drew Barrymore, and then the Red Sox make the most remarkable comeback ever after he doesn't miss a single inning of Red Sox baseball, and he catches the news clip. That's the greatest moment of my life. It's the greatest moment in Red Sox history. That's just running through my head. I'm like, I just missed. But then I was like, there's five more minutes to go. So I, this at this point, I'm flooring it to Mevin that we stop in Blue Ribbon. Blue Ribbon has like a 16-inch television at the bar. And so I'm watching it like Steve Carell in the office. Like, you see the nice flat screen on the wall? Like, I'm standing you, there. You like, finally broke down and got a plasma? Yeah. I'm, I'm, sit, I'm literally standing at the bar with four people total and because they're about to close. And I'm just standing there, like, looking, and I'm like – all right. And I see Trey airball a shot and I'm like, wow. And then I see Duke player. It was such a small screen. I didn't see the putback. I just see Duke run on the court. I'm like, he just airballed it. I saw it go left. And then they show the replay that went down more, typed it in in time. And I'm just like, so Duke won. Remarkable. Congratulations. Everybody's excited for me. They're like, how was it? We know you're at the game. And then I was like, it was great. It was great. And then I admitted I, I, didn't see, I didn't see the last two minutes and I barely saw overtime. So that is my story. I had to write for a Wendell Moore and the Duke buzzer beater because it is an all-time story. I don't miss the Duke football game, let alone some Duke basketball games, like if I'm not coaching in season with basketball. And I've never walked out of a, I've never walked out of an ass beating of Duke football. Like I just sit there and take it, then I just go home and pout and not leave a Duke UNC basketball game. And so I deserved it, but I also was happy. Like I, I point Wendell Moore won the game, but I really won the game for Duke fans. Me leaving took all the bad voodoo out of Dean Smith. So uh, that leads me to my top five. <laughs> so I'll go quick now. Top five is a tie is Kinnett's first down against Virginia Tech and the worst game ever. Duke won 13-10. Anthony Boone had more interceptions and he had second-half completions. Uh, Logan Thomas could not throw it to anybody besides a Duke defender. I think Duke also had like four interceptions on defense. Cody Drenell could not make a kick, which he also – were kind of related. So that was <laughs> that was funny to watch. And uh, – Jameson Crowder's catch against UNC, that's tied for my fifth. I mean, that's just – Duke's never beat UNC except for, like, I think 02. And to, like, really see it as a from a kid or 02 or 04, I, I, one of those years, one of the lost years, I think Patrick Bailey had the game-ending sack. But I was too young for that. But Jameson Crowder's catch in the end zone because that's such a Duke play that I was like, he dropped it. The way he got hit, I just knew the ball hit the turf. And when he came up, handed to the official, all-time goosebumps. I'll never not get chills from that. Uh, so, number four would be Tyus Jones' dagger against Wisconsin. And then he looks in the, he looks into the uh, fans, 
like he looks to his left and he's like has the threes like pointing down and he's actually yeah. looking at it. He said he was yell- he was looking at his brother and his brother's doing the same reaction. And I don't know if it was his older brother or Trey. I'd like to think it was Trey because that'd be really cool to like fast forward. He's a Duke point guard. But I remember reading the article on Sports Illustrated that he said he looked directly at his brother and he made that celebration. So that also got me emotional because like that's a pretty cool story. And I mean that shot and Bill Raftery is just the goat when it comes to calling any game onions from the little guy all time. <laughs> Number two, the very recent. I'm a, Wait, did we skip three? Or a uh, number three, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jeez. you're right. I know number three is very recent. I am, you're a Baltimore Orioles fan. I am a Braves fan. Jorge Soler's home run in Houston, just, oh my God. I think I've watched that. There was a point after the Braves won the World Series, I watched that clip probably seven times a day for about two months straight. And Rosario's home run, too, uh, against the Dodgers was awesome, too. But Solaire's home run in Houston, that like when he hit it, that's just like, this is destiny. And Yeah, see, on, on the hockey side of things and the fan side of things, mine is a save that uh, the Caps goalie made in game two of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Braden Holpe, and it was one of those like once in a lifetime saves. And it was in that moment, like closing minutes, Caps had a one goal lead, trying to, they had lost game one. So they were trying to steal home ice. And he just made this unbelievable, like reach across and save it with the, the tip of his stick or something like that. It was, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, let me, I jumped ahead of myself there and said, I just knew the Braves were going to win. I, that's not true. Three. Visionist history, I can look back and like, okay, that's when the Braves won the World Series because people forget the game before that. Adam DeBall hit a grand slam in the first inning for my, to make the Braves go up 4 nothing, and the Braves lost that game. And I'm like, this is going to be the Atlanta curse, the Atlanta collapse. And so that is not true. I did not immediately think, yes, World Series champs. That made me – my butt get even tighter. I was like, oh, my God, I cannot watch this anymore. Number two, LeBron James. Game seven, chase down block against Iguodala. That is frame it, tattoo it on my body, do whatever I want, put it on my tombstone. That's just iconic. I'll never forget it. Just the way it was announced. Mike Breen's also just an incredible announcer, but just the, the surprise of the broadcast because they've seen hundreds and thousands of NBA games across the board of Mark Jackson. Gundy, Ben Gundy, and Mike Breen. And to hear them utterly shocked at that type of play just made the moment even bigger. And I know Kyrie obviously hit the shot, but you and I are LeBron guys, and that just cemented his legacy. Like, to me, that was just like the icing on the cake. My dad named me Jordan after Michael Jordan, even though we're Duke fans. I mean, talk about just a coincidence. And so for me to say LeBron's my goat and Jordan is his goat, He's like, I even named – I got named you after Michael Jordan. You're, you're going to look me square in the face and not say that that's the best player of all time. And it's always <laughs> a fun debate to get him worked up. But that, that was number two. And then number one, the first half of the Chick-fil-A Bowl against Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> I was on – if there was a cloud nine, I was on cloud 100. I mean, everything that went right, went right. I mean, an onside kick here, we recover. 
throw deep ball to Crowder, he's got it. We want to run the ball with Snead. Here's a crackdown block by Crowder. We're going to do push-ups on the sideline. We're going to have all the Anthony Boone's just dotting it everywhere. And then the I think Duke won the game. I can't really remember after that, but it was yeah, that's, best, that's how that works. It was the best New Year's Eve, and then the clock struck midnight, and then it was the worst New Year's Day. I'm just sitting there because my family likes to have New Year's Eve parties. And I was in college, so I brought buddies and teammates of mine. And one of them is Tyler, is a uh, diehard, was a huge Manziel fan. Like he had a money team shirt on or something like that. And, oh, boy, he just knew. Like he was very quiet in the first half because it was 31-10 at halftime. And then when that comeback happened, when Kelby Brown could not wrap him up in the pocket, and he jumped out of that sack and he threw it in to the end zone. I'm just thinking this is not going to be fun. And with heartbreaking fashion, Anthony Boone gets lit up. And I think it ends up being – it was a pick. I can't remember if it was a pick six. I always get those mixed up between his and Renfrey. Renfrey was a pick six in Cincinnati that absolutely devoured his shoulder. But I know he ended the game – Boone ended the game on an interception after being flawless. So – I know I gave you about 10 there, but I was writing them down when you were talking. The, the, num- the number one was a surprise, and that's always, you know, well, that's why that's why you go 5 4 3 2 1. Well, it was in number case, five. 9 8 5 7 6 3 3 2 1. It was number five, and I was like, no, this is the more I talked about the others, I'm like, if we're really going to be honest, like this grins on my face, the smile on my face about like, finally, I told, I've told family members for years that the Cuckliffe era Duke was relevant. And for me to be so right for 30 minutes of football was the best feeling than to be abruptly wrong for 30 minutes. It's like, that's Duke football. And I'm just like, you shut the up. Like, please don't mock my team right now. I am in mourn. I'm just mourning this. And ever since then, it just seems like straight heartbreak. Well, I guess even before that, because the Belk Bowl, but and then the Arizona Bowl after that. I don't know if I don't know if you remember that. Or the Sun Bowl, not Arizona Bowl, the Sun Bowl. Played Arizona State, Duke's down the whole game, come back and go for two, get it. Duke had, I think Duke graded out as the best special teams coverage team in America that year, or at least in the ACC. That was one thing Cuckoo did so well. And Arizona State returns that kickoff all the way to, like, the 10-yard line after Duke finally took the lead. And they go and score. Duke gets the ball back. And Anthony Boone tries to force a throw to Crowder in the end zone, and he has McCaffrey wide open across the middle for a game-winning touchdown and throws a pick in the end zone trying to force it to Crowder. So – yeah, but my top five is great, and then my bottom five could all be Duke football moments. <laughs> we we can do another day where it's low lights, but uh, that's all I got. And we'll uh, do. Do we want to do a head nod to next week's top five with sports movies? And I'll I'll give you a starting to come together, Pepper. Starting to come together. Yep. Yeah, that's perfect. Because it's going to be even better top five list because I feel like we might have a couple that are going to be the same, but we're not going to tell each other. I don't want to know yours. You don't know mine. We just got, we got to agree on one thing first. 
Okay. Jerry Maguire is not a sports movie. I'm fine with that. Okay. I'm fine with that. It's a it's a it's a romantic movie. And it's I guess it's a rom com, but it feels like it's about seventy percent romantic and thirty percent comedy, but yeah. Not no, a sports movie. That drives I'm, me crazy. I'm fine with that. So I don't want to see Jerry Maguire as like your your number three A no. next week's list. No, that was luckily that was before my time too. It's a good movie, but I just don't have much relevance to it. I've seen it a yeah, couple yeah. of times, but there's so many sports movies that I might have a 5A, 5B, 5C. <laughs> Old college question. But, uh, yeah, man, well, I appreciate it. This is the first episode with the title and our first episode with a bit where we're going to start announcing top five in certain categories. And then we'll share this on social media, and if people – Watch along, listen along. If they have any requests, please let us know about top five favorite fast food restaurants or whatever have you. We're all ears. We're good at adapting. So, Connor, I appreciate it, man. All right, Jordan. Appreciate it.